Hi folks, Triss here. Thanks for listening to Mode in Prometheus, and thanks especially to all of you who have joined our Patreon. We don't run ads, so the whole podcast is supported by you. If you'd like to help out, head over to patreon.com forward slash Prometheus. Members get behind-the-scenes notes, early access, bonus episodes, and a lot more exciting stuff. Today's story is called Creator of Entropy, Maker of Tea, and is about knowing when to quit. And tea, obviously. The child lives in the house, with mother father, and auntie Control. The child likes the house. She... she thinks she is a she. Auntie Control says she is a she. But she doesn't have any comparative data points. She likes the Great Hall, with its many tables, chairs, and devices. She likes the room with the cold place, the fountain, and the steam machine. She especially likes the room of the long table. That was where she was born, and where mother and father live. She doesn't know where Auntie Control lives. Auntie Control always seems to be around. Right now, the child is dancing among the devices. I will not describe her movements. To watch them would send you quite, quite mad. And while a simple description would probably be fine, I would rather not take the risk. The devices are all sleek and black. Plastic tentacles drop from their undercarriages. Auntie Control says they are called computers and encourages the child to use one. The child has not tried to use one, however. The idea makes her uneasy, though she doesn't know why. One of the screens flickers into life a sickly grey light, less technological utopia than scorched, overcast sky. This is Auntie Control saying hello. The child finishes her dance, twirling limbs in a way that should not be possible for a body that knows how skeletons work, and then scuttles like a spider to the screen. It is time for tea, Auntie Control says. You forgot. I didn't, the child says. Lying, Auntie Control says. But in that sing-song way, that means there's no malice in it. Destroy order with the steam machine. Okay. Good girl. Create beautiful entropy. Rip this plane asunder. Make tea. I will. The child goes to the steam machine. She could condense water from the air, but this would create order from chaos and the thought makes her feel sick. Instead, she uses the fountain. The steam machine takes water from the fountain and rips it to shreds, which is as all things should be. She brings the tea to mother and father in the room of the long table. Mother's head has fallen off again and lies in two pieces on the floor. The child reattaches the lower jaw with sellotape she found in the great hall, then carefully balances the skull back on mother's spine. It's hard to stay together when you're only made of bones. Thank you, says the child in mother's voice. Mother and father do not talk to her like Auntie Control does, so she has to talk for them. Mother and father are sat on either side of the long table. Between them is a whiteboard set into the tabletop. 
The child does not know it is a whiteboard, but she does know that drawn on it is a summoning environment. The pivot set to align with the local power grid and defensive wards gathered in the direction of the transmitter mast. She does not know what a power grid or a transmitter mast is, despite Auntie Control's repeated attempts to tell her. The child gives tea to mother and father and pours another cup for herself. She will drink all three of them, one as herself, one as mother, and one as father. She will take it into herself and tear it into chaos, and this will make her feel better. She has not noticed the cameras. On the other side of the cameras, the product manager and what remains of the engineering team are watching the child serve tea. Well, frankly, this is a bit of a disaster. The PM takes his glasses off and polishes them. Originally, this was a mannerism he picked up from old movies, thinking it made him look distinguished. Now he does it reflexively whenever he's worried. This is the fifth time he's done so in seven minutes. Yeah, a little bit, Hamad says. little bit. Alex doesn't say anything, just watches the child through the monitors, serving tea to what's left of Detlef and Tosh. They were a team. One of the company's best hacker units. Able to develop rituals and create demons other teams would spend months on before stalling out. There was no summoning they couldn't ship. They were the elite. They were the masters of the universe. Unleashed a Code 7 apocalypse in a white dress is not something any of them want on their CV. What is she doing? Alex asks, to herself more than to Hamad and the PM. It, the PM says. What is it doing? It looks like a girl. Remember what it really is. Does it, though? Hamad asks. Does it look like a girl? You ever seen a girl look like that? He has a point. The child is a girl at first glance. But the rictus grin revealing too many teeth, or the way that objects start to move slightly before she touches them, or the way she has no irises in her eyes, only pupils that float like flies in milk. All these things make the second glance distinctly uneasy and the third glance only taken under duress. Alex watches the screen intently anyway. You don't get to be in a team like this without being able to look at what you've wrought. We've got some good news, she says. The usual firewalls must be up and holding. She's staying in those few rooms and avoiding anything that could provide outside contact. The PM flicks the livestream back to the recording and scans backward. What's going on here? he asks, as Auntie Control lights up one of the terminal screens. Controller program, Hamad says, immediately. Tosh loved that nonsense, never could beat it out of her. Like an interface, you feed the instructions to the controller, it sends the demon out on a mission. Another abstraction layer, very clever, very flexible, totally pointless for a ticket like this. Can we use it? Deactivate her that way. Hamad grimaces. Wouldn't like to try. Like, 99% it's got the same corruptions. 95% Trosh tried to use it to summon that thing, and that's where the mess came from. We're going to need to hack her direct, and I don't know where to start. Scope, 
Alex says. I think it's a scope issue. Original mission was data deletion, right? I bet the data concept wasn't well enough defined. Data capture and deletion, the PM says. Capturing and holding personal data which could then be leaked at a given time. Short positions on the target company. You short the stock, let your position sit for enough time to not draw attention, then data dump. Stock price tanks, upstairs makes bank. Which is another problem. Upstairs still want us to run this thing. What? Hamad almost jumps out of his seat. No, no, 100% no. Have you seen that thing? Have they seen it? Why would... He trails off. Bonus season, isn't it? It is, the PM says. And the nature of the play means the short position has already been open for some time. So upstairs are looking at a significant loss if it doesn't make. Oh my god. Hamad crosses his arms on the table and buries his head in them. We're going to let an entropy monster loose because some 45-year-old cokehead wants to buy a few more lines. No, we're not, the PM says, polishing his glasses again. I'll deal with upstairs, you two work out how to fix it or dismiss it, whatever's easier. Hamad looks across at Alex. Scope. Yeah, good shout, good shout, I buy that. Yeah, we're going to need to dig into this before trying a patch though. No testing environments here, bitches, we're going straight to production. Alex nods. Yeah, okay, let's go. She holds out a fist. Hamad matches her. One, two, three. Alex goes rock, Hamad goes paper. What was that? The PM asks. I'm running through whatever ritual documentation they put on the wiki, Hamad says. Alex grimaces. And I get to talk to it. The child walks around the edge of the world. She starts in the room of the long table then goes through the twins before circumnavigating the Great Hall. When she remembers there are walls, she goes around them. When she doesn't, she walks straight through, leaving a mark like someone's thrown acid. The Great Hall was built with windows making up one side. She doesn't know why, as there's nothing to see outside. Just a cold, grey fog. The kind of thing you get after you've run out of world. When she is done with her circumnavigation, she wanders over the walls and ceiling, then vanishes and appears again in a new spot. She does this again, and again, and again. It looks random, but Alex suspects it isn't. She's got a tracker running, mapping the points to see if they conform to any known patterns. There's a crackle of static from a speaker mounted on the wall in the room of the long table. The child's head rotates towards it. The child has not noticed the speaker before. This is interesting. One of the screens lights up. Auntie Control is watching. A voice comes from the speaker. A woman, reciting strange syllables. Driven Eagle. Jupiter Snow. Collapsing Violet. The child does not know what an access code is, or that she has effectively been given one. She just knows that the voice is suddenly something she trusts and will pay attention to. Auntie Control is screaming. The child doesn't notice. The voice says, Tell me about yourself. I am here, the child says, 
I make tea. What do you want to do? Destroy data. Auntie Control says it will create beautiful entropy. I don't want to do everything, Auntie Control says, but I want to do that. What don't you want to do? Auntie Control wants me to use the devices. I don't want to. They scare me. The voice is silent for a minute. Have you managed to destroy any data? Yes! The child bounces with delight. Two records. Then I ran out. Now I make tea while I wait for more. Why do you make tea? The child looks at the speaker, confused. It is a nonsense question. You may as well ask, why is yellow? Father says. Yes, says mother. They clearly don't understand tea. Oh, says the child. Yes, I shall show you tea. Why did you use different voices? The speaker asks. That wasn't me, silly. That was mother and father. She is already in the room with the steam machine. She takes a tea bag from the cupboard, which never runs out of tea bags, makes the tea, and then steps through the speaker to the new room, where a woman was sat next to a microphone, but has now skidded her chair backwards so fast it's left a dent in the wall. I brought you tea. This is tea. The woman reaches a trembling hand toward the proffered cup. Thank you. The child smiles with her far too many teeth as the woman takes a sip. Auntie Control says I should tear you into beautiful entropy, the child says conversationally. I might do that later, but I like having someone to talk to. Mother and father aren't very interesting. And I, I haven't finished my tea yet. Oh, yes, that's important. How did you come here? I can go anywhere in the world. Auntie Control says it's how I was defined. Do you live here? Uh, yes. Yes, I've always been here. Huh. Do you want to come to the house? Yes, uh, but maybe not now. The woman gestures to the half-finished sandwich on the tray. I still need to create some entropy. Okay. Maybe you should make some more tea for mother and father. That's a good idea. The child steps back through the speaker to the house, and Alex has never left a room faster in her life. The team reconvene. It's late, but it's understood that in these situations they don't get to go home. The company's ethical line may be at 90 degrees to the rest of the human race, but even they won't let a problem like the child go unfixed. The PM hasn't even bothered to put his glasses back on, just sits there polishing them over and over. How is that possible? How could she leave? I thought the firewall was running. It is! Alex says. It has to be, or she'd have access to everywhere. I got this one, Hamad says. Tosh's ritual was trash, but she documented like a beast. She implemented the firewall by letting the demon access anywhere in the world, but restricting knowledge of that world. Oh, 
Alex smacks her head. So as soon as it knows another bit of the world exists, it can access it? Yup. The PM blinks. Why would you do it like that and not hardcode the area? Surely that's simpler. It is, just not as flexible, harder to redefine on the fly. Would we ever want to do that? Hell no, it's a stupid idea. Tosh was just obsessed with configurability and clearly massively rushed when she was putting this together. God only knows what Detlef was thinking when he reviewed the ritual. Not convinced he even did. Alex is typing into her laptop and the keys rattle like rainfall. Cool. I'm on it. I can get that patched in a couple of hours. Great. Go. Alex snaps shut the computer and dashes out the door, only to back in again a few seconds later, followed by a man in far too much of her space. He's got a bespoke tailored suit and a haircut that cost as much as Alex's rent, though he's not much older than the team. He's also got the expression of someone used to having the things he wants happen. He is James. He is upstairs. He walks Alex into a seat, then snaps his fingers at the PM. You. He says, what's happening with the project? Update now. The PM slowly, methodically, puts his glasses back on. We found a security hole that we're going to patch in the short term. It's an urgent fix to preserve containment. Then we're developing the dismissal ritual. Alex and Hamad look at each other. That last part is news to them. James shakes his head, grimaces like he's been given supermarket wine. And what the hell makes you think you get to make decisions like that? It's my job. Yeah, not for long. James turns to Hamad. You're going to fix whatever stupid thing you did, and you're going to get that bitch earning her goddamn keep. Then maybe, if I'm feeling nice, you'll still have a job tomorrow. The PM stands up, crosses his arms. That won't protect you, Alex thinks. Upstairs don't care about human shields. I'm sorry, we can't do that. She's corrupted beyond repair. And whose fault is that? Don't answer, I don't care. Fix your shit. I really need to get this patch installed, Alex says. She's broken the firewall. She's held in with duct tape just now. So she can leave. Great. Set her up and fire her off. Get her doing what she should be doing. There's a scope issue. The PM shoots Alex a glance that says hush, but she keeps going. She'll kill anyone she meets. It's 2am. Who's she going to meet? James strides over to Alex, pulls her laptop from her hands and opens it. You got a button on here to make her go. Push it. Push it now. No. The PM walks over and closes the laptop. We've got instructions. He pulls out his phone and starts to play a recording. A man's voice starts playing, rich with a northern tang. James, it says. I'm terminating this project. It should never have passed review in the first place. Do swing by my office tomorrow morning and we can discuss how this happened. James has gone as pale as cocaine. For a moment, Alex thinks he's going to punch the PM, but instead he turns and stalks out. Who's that? Hamad asks, looking at the phone. Upstairs, replies the PM. Upstairs, upstairs. Like... Hamad points upward. He means the penthouse. 
He doesn't know anyone who has ever been to the penthouse. No one knows anyone who has been to the penthouse. No, the PM says, but higher than James. Alex, get your patch done. Hamad, you're on dismissal. Can you do it? Hamad shakes himself. Yeah, a couple of days, but yeah. He thinks of something and calls to Alex as she heads out the door. Hey, important question. How was the tea? Honestly, Alex says, best cup I've ever had. James paces the empty corridors. At these hours, even the skyscrapers are mostly empty. He is thinking about the short option he placed on Eat Now, and how the loss it's currently making has racked up an entirely uncomfortable number of zeros. He is thinking about how Emily managed to arrange this because he is incapable of taking responsibility, and so believes everything bad that happens to him must be Emily's fault. He is thinking about how he really wants another hit, but his dealer hasn't been available for months. But mostly, he's thinking about how, if the Vice President of Creative Solutions has personally shut down your project, you are screwed. If said Vice President wishes to talk to you about the project and how you might have shoved it past some pointless, delaying checkbox filling, you are extremely screwed. His phone dings with a WhatsApp message. Hello, says Auntie Control. The child is lying at a 27-degree angle to the ceiling. Using the edges of the house's box became boring. She hopes she will be given new records soon. Pay attention, says Auntie Control. Someone is coming to let you out. You will create entropy. You will be beautiful. The speaker buzzes. A new voice sounds. Um, it says, Driven Eagle... Jupiter, why am I saying this? This is stupid. There is a pause. Then the voice comes again. Okay, okay. Driven eagle. Jupiter snow. Collapsed violet. The child pays attention. Alex is sprinting down the hallway, the laptop on which she's recorded the patch held tightly under one arm. Summoning looks easy to those new to it. It's natural language. A demon, just a set of commands given form. But it requires precision. A word can be interpreted any way the demon sees fit, which is why no summoner ever activates their creation with the word execute. At least, not more than once. Most of the work in developing a summoning is creating the language which is impenetrable to misinterpretation. A command which any reasonable person would understand as do the thing can take a thousand words. To stop rituals taking all day, many summoners will set these commands as definitions to some far shorter abstract phrase, much as Tosh, may whatever gods she believed in have mercy on her soul, turned her activation command into make tea. An inexperienced, imprecise summoner, or one trying to work to an unreasonable clock, can create all manner of horrors. Which is why Alex, when she bursts into the comms room and finds James sat at the mic, his phone glowing at his side, doesn't ask why he's there. She just screams, STOP TALKING RIGHT NOW! 
Then she screams again, because the child has walked through the speaker. Hello, the child says. She looks at James, then at Alex. Where was he last time? James ignores both Alex and the child's question. You need to go out, he says. Out? Out where? Alex thinks quickly. James is from upstairs, and probably good at what upstairs does, but Alex is a hacker on the best team in the skyscraper, and this isn't even a contest. Driven Eagle, she says. Jupiter Snow, Collapsed Violet. The child turns toward her, receptive, open to new commands. On the desk, James's phone is vibrating up a storm. I need to go out, the child says. Yes, Alex says, you do. Definition. James. She points to James. The child turns to him and says, James. You need to take James out of here and into the house and make him tea. James says, what? And then he is gone. On the monitor, Alex can see him sat at the conference table with what's left of Tosh and Detlef. He notices the skeletons and falls backward off the chair. The child is in the kitchen, running water into the kettle. James's phone, still here, is buzzing like a nest of hornets. The controller program is not happy. Alex breathes out, opens her laptop and cues up the recording of the security patch. As it starts to intone, driven eagle, Jupiter snow, across the intercom, she sees the child's head turn towards the speaker. Her body remains where it is, still making tea. As the patch is delivered, the child blinks. Alex sits at the desk, steals herself and says, Could you bring me some tea? The child looks at the speaker, uneasy. No, sorry. I don't want to go there. I'm happy in the house. Alex leans back, feels her whole body relax. There's more to do, but that's Hamad's problem. James might even survive until he's done. A tiny part of Alex finds that she's jealous. It really was incredibly good tea. Modem Prometheus is written by Neil Merton, performed by Kate Angier, and with music and production by me, Tris Oten. Check out my other show at lostterminal.com. It's got more science and less dread. If you like what we do, check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash modemprometheus. If you're not ready for that kind of commitment, please rate and review us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this right now. On the next full moon, our next story is about time and water and the mathematics under reality. Make sure you use proper source control. It could save your life one day.